Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, the editor of the Toolkit. And we're back after three months off. We've got nine straight episodes, uh, one dropping every Thursday with some great guests like Patty Jenkins, Greta Gerwig, Jordan Peele, and a bunch of IndieWire's favorite filmmakers who quite nicely also this year find themselves to be part of the awards conversation as well. And today's guest, Sean Baker, is definitely one of those directors. His new film, The Florida Project, is one that's still starting to slowly expand across all the United States, and it's just a great film from a great independent filmmaker that IndieWire's been covering for a while, so looking forward to that conversation. This week's episode of the Filmmaker Toolkit podcast is brought to you by the new film, The Pathological Optimist. From director Miranda Bailey comes a polarizing documentary about Andrew Wakefield, a co-author of the notorious 1998 paper in the UK medical journal, The Lancet, that caused him to be the public face of the anti-vax movement. Miranda Bailey weaves a delicate portrait of a man who is the pathological optimist, utilizing never-before-seen, full-access look at the man at the center of one of the biggest medical and media controversies of our time. Don't miss the documentary the LA Times says is a carefully modulated portrait of the British expat. The film, film Journal affirms Bailey's ambitious documentary delivers its information in small, teasing doses, gradually deepening our understanding of its complex content. And The Hollywood Reporter declares it delivers a personal profile that shies away from taking a stand on his controversial theories. See The Pathological Optimist now on iTunes, Amazon, and Video On Demand. And here's my conversation with Sean Baker. Ago, there was a breakout tangerine, which has led to this new film with a slightly more resources than normal, right, Sean? Yes, exactly. But you know, the thing that's remarkable about it is it's still, you're still working very much the same way. I tried. It was harder. It was harder because the minute you, you get a little bit more money, then you have to deal with more people. You know, not that I don't like to support the union, but you know, it was a union shoot and, and therefore a lot more rules and a lot more um, departments to deal with. So you try to keep you know, in, this, in the style that you, you've become accustomed to and that people have become accustomed to knowing you for. And, and it's, you know, it, yeah, there, it, you have challenges. There are challenges. I mean, have you, you've seen, well, yeah. you've been a very great supporter of the film. Thank you very much. And IndieWire in general, just um, all of you guys have been such a supporter. Uh, thank you. Um, but if, so in the film, the perfume scene. Mm-hmm. The, the scene in which we're basically shooting in a candid camera style, watching mother-daughter try to sell perfume to tourists. I wanted that scene to be shot, like my previous films, I wanted that to, ha- to be a true candid camera scene with telephoto lenses, miking our actors, walking up to real pedestrians and trying to sell real perfume and then running and chasing them down for releases after I yell cut. So you know how more difficult that is when suddenly there's a 40, there's 40 people around you and you just want everyone to go away. You're like, why? why? Come on guys, do we need the, 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 the you know, head of transportation here? Why can't we be hiding? And, like, and so it was really difficult because you're just, you're such a presence at that point. That you have such a footprint. Yeah. Yeah, the, a much bigger footprint, and still we were small. Yeah. I mean, w- this is a, it's, it's it's still considered a low budget film. I mean, right. it's only a couple million, so it's uh, it's still a low budget film. But even even that, you're just your footprint's much larger, your presence is much more. So yeah. So let's talk about uh, the Florida Project. Refers to is it always I always forget Disney World or Disneyland? Which one's World? World. Di- Di- Disney World. It refers to that's that's what the um, Disney World was called before. Um, you know when they were still building it. And buying up the land down there, they they were trying to keep it under 
on the DL, on the you know, down low, because they didn't want competition. This is what I have heard and read. Uh, you know, who knows if this is completely accurate. But when they were purchasing up the land there, they didn't want competition with other land buyers. So they didn't say we're building Walt Disney World. It was called the, you know, hush hush. It's the Florida project. That's what I've heard. And so your, your, your world takes place in these motels outside, which are now more residences, mm. kind of. Um, and I'm wondering, and I'm just assuming based on your other projects, how, how did you discover this world? Because I, I know most of these things come from, from having mm. at least spent some time embedding in, in the world. What, yeah, this was the first one in which I wasn't living in close proximity to. I, I Well, actually, you could say we were, because Chris Bragash's mother relocated to that area in 2011. So Chris Bragash, my co-screenwriter co on the last three films, he was the one who brought this world to my attention. Um, you know, I, he started sending me a few articles from the local, local news um, about the situation happening down there, and then also photos that he was taking while driving up and down Route 192 and saying, look, there are kids playing in the, in the parking lot here. They're playing wiffle ball. These kids live here. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so that was really, I think, that was the launching pad. That was what got me interested at first. So the idea, because the idea being is, is that I, I think the, the whole hotel resort world mm. around Disney World has built up to such a degree that these, these motels no longer are really for tourists and now yeah. they're just more low in, like transient low income housing type of To a certain degree and they were also hit hard by the recession of 08 okay. and the housing crisis after you had a lot of people moving into the area looking for work had, who had lost permanent housing and suddenly they were stuck f finding refuge in these in these budget motels because they were cheap mm -hmm. um, not that cheap by the way I mean the amount of money that say our lead character Haley is paying a month is equivalent to what basically I pay a month in West Hollywood. So it's not like these are, this is low income housing. This is, is this is their only choice. People are they, priced out. In exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so yes, a lot of these along Route 192, a lot a lot of these budget motels were once targeted towards the same tourists going to the parks. Mm -hmm. Right. So they had also that whole kitsch thing going on where it was like. We're going to rip off Disney to a certain degree, or a lot. You know, they're, they're I don't know, candy coated. They're fantasy like. They're 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 definitely trying to target people with kids. You know, you have a magic castle. You're staying in a magic castle in in Swedes. You have down the street. You have the Alligator Motel. You have you know all. There were a bunch of these, um, you know, that were lining Route 192. Now. They've, a lot of them have gone under or they've been demolished and land has been bought for other reasons. And, you know, but we were, so again, like Prince of Broadway and, and almost like Tangerine, I'm sort of catching it at, at its transition. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I went off topic. Chris has discovered this world has brought it to your attention, and and we'll we'll table Will yeah. Willem for a second because okay. Willem Dafoe is in this movie. But by and large, you've gone back to um, non-professional casting for this. Yeah. But I'm assuming it's a little bit different because I think a lot of times um, with with your films, it, it's the people who 
actually lived there or my sense is that you did non-professional casting but these people were from all over or did you yeah, or did yeah. you pick people and that I were actually I, living this life well no we definitely cast locally mm -hmm. uh, we actually did our best to employ people from the motels to give them a day's work I mean that was part of it to help but um, I, I hate this I hate to use the word non-professional mm -hmm. you know why because what do you use? I, I say first-timers first-timers because okay. um, and yet there are then non-professionals um, uh, there are three groups. Mm -hmm. There are the seasoned actors, the first-timers, and the non-professionals. The non-professionals are the ones who literally are like people from anywhere that mm -hmm. we just capture in the moment and say, you want to be in this film? And they're not aspiring to be actors, and they probably will never have a future mm -hmm. in acting. It's just they're a great character, they have a great look, let's involve them in the scene. But when I use the word non-professional for like a lot of my first-timers, it's actually harming them or not you know it's, it's not doing them justice mm -hmm. because what happens like for example with Prince Adieu we kept saying non-professional that we found in the wholesale district non-professional non-professional and then I started to realize that the industry here is non-professional and they think unprofessional and right. they think oh this is a one-off when actually Prince Adieu to this day wants to have a career in acting so so um, somebody like a Bria or somebody like um, uh, Kiki and Maya, or or Besedka Johnson, who was unfortunately passed away from, who was in Starlet. Those were those were first timers because they 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 got the acting bug. Mm -hmm. You know they want to they want to pursue this in life. So so um, Bria, I, I don't consider her a non professional at all. I consider her, you know, a first timer. Um, she, yeah. So so yes, I like to mix it up. Though I think that bringing fresh faces to cinema, especially with the kind of stories that I'm trying to tell, it helps. It helps the audience to to buy in quicker, mm. and that suspension of disbelief kicks in much faster when you see a fresh face up there that you don't recognize. We, you know, and and we employ documentary techniques to for the style of of, of helping the audience as well buy into it. So, so it's just it's just really a stylistic approach to casting. Yeah. And what about, because with Kiki and uh, Maya yes. for, for Tangerine, um, that was also, their involvement was also an element of story. There was, you built a story with, with them. Well, it, is, yes, is in it, a way. I wasn't, we weren't writing with them. We right. were, we were, we approached it in a journalistic way where mm -hmm. we interviewed them. And then in a collaborative way, we would say, hey, what kind of story should we be mm. telling here? And, and we were looking for a story for a very long time. And it wasn't until one day when, when Kiki actually suspected her own boyfriend at the time of cheating on her with a cisgender uh, woman that we thought, ooh, there's something there. Now, it, the drama was over by the end of that day. Mm -hmm. But we had fantasized about how it would actually play out and how that could be actually you know, a plot device that would lead us down the mm -hmm. road. So, so yes, it was through a collaboration that we sort of found it. And um, so, but on this one, though, my sense is that you and Chris kind of had the story. You had a. This is more yeah. about getting people into your world, getting these first timers into your world. Yes. In particular, a group of kids, features. Yeah. Yes, yes, and no, because we did go in knowing that it would be a mother-daughter story. Mm -hmm. And using kind of the tropes of a Disney film, you know, the, the damaged mom or the dead mom, and you know, um, we we were we were going for something there that was so that was already set, mother daughter thing, 
But it wasn't until we actually started doing our trips there, doing our research, mm -hmm. that we started learning more about the world and, and understanding all the different real-life characters that play a role in this world. Mm -hmm. The small business owners, the managers, you know, the agencies. Um, and they became, suddenly the film became, the script became fleshed out with, uh, most importantly, the character of Bobby, who was not even, we did not even consider somebody, a, a manager, but we met a real life manager who very much inspired Bobby. And then we started talking to other managers and realized there was this common thread amongst all the managers that they were stuck in a very, very, I would say a very tough place in which they were trying to keep it professional and hold on to their, their job. They were blue collar. They needed to support their family. They, they this was a, you know, the jobs are, are scarce there. And this was, this was a job they had to hold on to. They had to keep it professional and manage a, a small business with very little help. But at the same time, they had compassion and love for the residents at these motels but knew that at any time they might have to evict one of them and put them on the street. And, and I saw this and it was like, oh, this is, a real, this is a real dilemma. These guys are living on a daily basis and not just with one, one family, but with the, all of these families and, and individuals. And, and so that's what really inspired the Bobby character. And, we, we, and, and, and so if it wasn't for our sort of our journalistic approach and, and interviewing mm -hmm. people, we wouldn't have gotten to that place. Yeah. And what about so Bobby is the character that's played by Willem Dafoe. Yes. So what about that choice? I mean, my guess is after Tangerine, there were actors who were very interested in maybe, you know, I, I'm sure the yeah. idea of casting someone like a Willem Dafoe, that those options were, were available to you, I'm assuming, after Tangerine. Yeah. That choice, that character that you just described, that idea of mixing the first timer with someone that is so seasoned. Right. It, it, was that just the perfect role for you to introduce someone um, of his experience and stature into your into your world? Yeah, I'm, I think so. Um, yes, it was because it was sort of the grounded. It was the straight man. It was the the guy who was the anchor. It was the the grounding character. Um, but you know, to tell you the truth, James Ransom. You know, mm -hmm. he's he's a very you know seasoned actor. Um, he's 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 known not as well known as mm -hmm. Willem, but you know he was in The Wire. He's very well known for The oh, Wire. I, mean, I, don't, he was, I he apologize because I don't mean to I don't mean to, yeah. to 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 say that you haven't. I I think the difference just being is um, Willem Dafoe, no matter if they're IndieWire readers or yes. writers or my parents, like it's Willem, of it's Willem of course. Two and time Academy it, Award nominee, it, all of that, yes. And beyond even just his presence, there's, I mean, part of it is his presence, even beyond the fact he's recognizable, there is, there, yeah. there is, and to me what felt like was that there was almost built into the story, that was almost built into this, the way that you had just described mm -hmm. the inspiration for the Bobby yeah. character, but this element that you could almost use to anchor and to be a thread mm. as you floated around this yeah, world. It there's definitely that. Um, and also, but I did have a fear. I, I can't mm. deny that. Yeah, this is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, and also I thought, I thought any rec, I always fear this, you know, but you're seduced, you're seduced by Hollywood. You're seduced mm. when you start working on a certain budget level and you're working with agencies, you know, they will throw names at you that are so inappropriate but they guess what? They have like 
I don't know, 50 million followers on their social network platform mm -hmm. and they've made a great box office on their last Fast and the Furious, or, you know what I mean? So it's like they throw these names at you and you're supposed to be like, well, are you kidding me right now? Like, but, so I, but I was fearing any recognizable face. But then, of course, Willem's name came across the table and I was just like, well, yeah, how can you deny that? There, there are those actors out there. You can't deny the transformative power of, of, of Willem. I mean, he mm -hmm. has that skill. There are guys like him and, and Gary Oldman and, you know, the greats that are just like, you can see them in any role and you'll buy into it very quickly. Um, for me, even watching my own film, which I, I don't really watch my own film, but <laughs> during the editing process, watching my film, I was just like, I can buy this Bobby character within seconds of seeing him. Mm. I'm no longer seeing Willem, I'm seeing Bobby. And, and that just goes to, you know, his, just to, is a testament to his, his, his wonderful skill and transformative nature. And also the fact that he took the time, you know, that's cool too, to find That's what somebody. I was about to ask is that that yeah. element of like, I imagine for you, even once you buy into this idea that will and that's a good choice that Willem Dafoe could play this mm. role, I imagine for you uh, to be protective of your process, mm. like an element of, is he gonna, you know, yeah. does he understand how I work? Is he yeah. gonna be okay with this? Right. Like he's gotta come meet me on the way on my filmmaking level yeah. yes rather than maybe what he did on his last film yeah and it was he had seen tangerine mm -hmm. and so and i heard he was a fan so that helped a lot knowing that and i thought he may I, you know to tell you the truth i still have to ask him this I, he may have signed on thinking this was an iphone movie you know <laughs> that he was just going to be down and dirty on the street and we we're just going to be throwing him into these crazy situations but when i met him i actually flew to new york to meet him because he was off to Rome and I had like a 24 hour period of time and I just red eyed it to New York and I sat down with him and we talked about this and he, he, he understood the politics because I had sent him like 40 articles to read and he understood what was going on, but he wanted to, you know, he wanted to spend the time to, to develop this character and to, and to really immerse himself as well so that he could become this, this Florida man. Mm -hmm. And, um, Thank God he wanted to do that. That's like a really great, you know, to find an actor who is a team player, collab and even on his level to just come in there and just be like, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to collaborate and do what I can do to get there and blend in. Now, I think that was a big, that was a big, maybe I'm not going to say concern, but that was what it was definitely on his mind about blending in. So he, he came down a week early and met with the motel manager that I mentioned earlier. And I think really absorbed in many ways absorbed him and absorbed some others and came to set got his spray tan on uh doesn't look like his spray tan looks good 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 <laughs> good uh yeah i when i first saw it i actually was fooled myself in person and then he um he he got you know a, he had a list of accessories like i want these glasses i want this watch i want this necklace even though we mm -hmm. we hardly see some of those things it was just helping him get there and and so it was really wonderful to see he was trying he was really trying to get there which you know sometimes you f these actors will just show up at the day of and just be like what do i do yeah is, is, yes is yeah. plug and play type yeah. thing yeah um you had used that example uh when we first started talking about um the scene that you wanted to do canted camera yeah. style and and i could see how there's elements of that still in florida project but my sense is that in terms of your main location, um, 
and in terms of the camera, you did have, a, the thing that might be a little bit different for you with this film was an element of control in mm -hmm. terms of those main locations. And also, I think that allowed you, I mean, you shot 35 millimeter, but there's a, which in and of itself means that you have to have a certain amount of yeah. control. Um, right. It, it, could you talk about that, that, that element of like, I mean, did you, did you take over this motel and, and, and how, because there is also this element that you still have to follow around kids yeah. that yes. you're allowing yes. to, yes. I assume, improv and be yeah. kids, yeah. but also having an element of control with your language and painting it purple yes. and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, eh, like all of my films, there's still an element of, of, uh, of, of not having control. Like maybe like, you, you have to, yes, you're shooting under, we did not own the motel. Mm -hmm. We didn't actually, we, we rented out rooms and mm -hmm. of course we had permission to be there and have a presence there for what, two and a half weeks or maybe mm -hmm. three weeks or something like that. But we, we didn't, it's not like we bought out the motel and could, we could do whatever we wanted to do. We still, it was very much like donut time and tangerine and, and, and uh, the, the, the Chinese takeout and takeout where we said, we won't interfere with your business and we won't interfere with customers. So, you know, there were real residents there um, and there were people checking in and checking out. And sometimes we'd be in that office shooting in the front office in the lobby and in the middle of the scene, the phone would yeah. ring. I mean, we would have to, and the, and the real clerk would have to run out of the back and run right through the scene and, and pick up the phone. I mean, <laughs> that happened a lot, actually. Um, so, but I like that. I like that. If not, it would just be a Hollywood set. I could have shot mm -hmm. it in down the street. Did you paint it purple Hollywood. or did you? No, no, it was always purple. When I, we first found the place, though, it was grungier. Okay. And then um, I think we told the owner we were interested in shooting and the owner wanted to spruce it up and make it look great. And they, I think they, 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 they painted it and I lost my mind. They also mowed the lawn mm. and I lost my mind. <laughs> I was like, why, what? This is not what it was supposed to be. But then I realized afterwards that actually it does work. It, right. it totally works. It, it, it's bringing us, we were already heightening reality by like a hair mm. to, you know, to get that sense of you know, seeing it through, not seeing it through the eyes of a child, but sort of like, that you know, enhancing it to the point where we feel that the uh, the audience members hopefully have that uh, that heightened uh, the heightened senses of a child. Let's mm. just say that. So the colors should be just a hair brighter, and so that paint job actually worked perfectly for me in hindsight. But at the time, I have to tell you, in pre-production, when that paint job happened, I lost my freaking mind. <laughs> well, because I mean, that's the other thing is, is that uh, I mean. This is 35 millimeter. Yes. You know, I've been talking to a few different filmmakers and cinematographers and who have been steering away from 35 because of this hyper color, because mm. it's, it's, it's so clean. Mm. And I think there's this natural narrative of, oh, Sean Baker graduated from an iPhone to 35 millimeter, which mm. isn't really yeah. too accurate. But there's also um, 35 was, for all those reasons, I think people are maybe being a little fearful of 35. It was perfect for mm the saturated yeah. colors and yeah, that kind so. of hyper real color palette, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And the 35 for me has that organic feel to it that really puts us in the in in that environment. It has that sort of sense of nostalgia, which I hate saying because that means that film is is a thing of the past, but but there is that sense too that like we're thinking about our own childhoods. Mm -hmm. So we should I should try to get 
the audience to be feeling a sense of nostalgia, and I think that film helps that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Now, you also got a uh, your cinematographer, Alexi Zabe, right? Zabe, Zabe, who has worked with um, one of our favorite filmmakers, uh, Carlos. Carlos uh, Rigas. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm wondering that element of bringing him on and also working with kids. And I've only seen it once. I got to see it again uh, soon. But there's there's an element here of still having this freedom of movement and moving with the kids. But this like, cle- there, there there's something. There's a smoothness. There's also there, there. It seems like you might have a little bit more control over your language working with him and working with the kids than mm. maybe on your previous films. Is that is that? Um. Oh no, I don't know. Or is he still just reacting? Is he still reacting to? He, I mean, I just I noticed mean, one with like running on the balcony oh, where yes. it's like very clear that that's you're on some kind of crane oh. and device or oh. um that was i don't know i i i think with all my films i go for some stuff that's very controlled and very obvious mm-hmm. like film cinematic mm-hmm. language and and that was just you know that was just a, a shot that i had always envisioned and mm-hmm. and uh we talked about how we would pull it off and all we needed was some scaffolding getting <laughs> the getting the camera up on some scaffolding and doing a, a one oh by the way the thing shooting on that uh, that that scene because when audience when people listening to this seeing the film what we're doing is that we're panning left to right for like the entire length of this entire motel and we're going past the railings that have these little you know very, it, the, the railings are bright white, mm-hmm. so they, it looks like the little slots that you're going past. We would not be able to do that on digital. Sure. That would be a mess. That, that would be a strobe yeah, mess. Yeah, you do you do that on film, and it blends in properly. And and so anyway, um, no, but you know, Alexis and I, just like Radium and I on the on the two on Starlet and Tangerine, we were we were on the same page. You know, we mm-hmm. didn't really have we we did we talked about more about like the. Of course, when it came down to framing, we we were very specific about that. Mm-hmm. We were very diligent about getting the the proper two, three, five, you know, uh, framing. Uh, but but at the same time, I think when it came to um, the the overall overall look of the film, we were just on the same page that we wanted this sort of not hyper reality, but just like a hair above reality in terms of the color and. And uh, some of the some of the um, some of the set pieces being um, a little more obvious that they were set pieces. Mm. You know what I mean? Like symmetrical framing on some of these gift shops that they were just right in your face. Mm-hmm. You know, just um, and, uh, and and set pieces like the one you just said that were like long takes that could only be shot one way. Mm-hmm. Um, steady cam steady cam shots that were very that were practiced and. And, and, and rehearsed many, many times until we knew exactly what we were doing. Like the one where they go all the way downstairs and then she slaps the pad on the window. So you, that figured, was, you figure it out with the kids and then you bring in the kids. You figure out what that movement is gonna be working oh, with them yeah. and, then, so you just, and then you just yes. leave time to react. Yes and no. <laughs> it really depends scene to scene. So for example, I was wondering, okay, this is, this is actually something that my assistant helped me with. I was wondering what a docu style would look like with a Steadicam mm-hmm. because you don't see that much, no. right? But if you think about it, audiences are starting to get used to it because of the fact that there's stabilization on iPhones. Yeah. So they see homemade raw footage but with a stabilizer right. on. 
and so everybody who's shooting their, you know, their Instagram videos and YouTube videos, they're all very smooth. So we're changing the way audiences think about how cameras are even held and shots are stable or not. So, so, um, so I wanted to, that tour that the kids give little Chansey mm-hmm. through the motel, I knew I wanted to shoot that in a docky way. I wanted it to come across like we were just following these kids and I was very, I knew we were gonna have jump cuts along the whole way just to their lines. Mm-hmm. In this room, a girl, a woman who thinks she is married to Jesus lives in this room. In this room, you know, this guy gets arrested all the time, all that stuff, right? And we had those scripted lines and yet we also allowed the kids to riff a little bit. Um, and we just followed them with a steady cam down the whole length of the motel, then down the stairs, and then down back, back, all the way to you know, the other way, the whole length of the motel. And then we did jump cuts along the way. And I honestly had to, I had to almost research this. I asked my assistant to take some of those long Steadicam shots from Paul Thomas Anderson films and whatever long Steadicam shots we could get, and then chop them up, you know, like literally jump cut them up and see if it was still working. And they did, and that's why we went ahead and did that. So, for example, I took that Paul Thomas Anderson shot from uh, Hard Eight, and uh, you know he walks up to the motel and he goes in and he finds out that they sh- they, they they got the guy. Mm-hmm. You remember that whole scene? Yeah, I do, I do. And, and we basically jump cut that whole thing up to see what it would look like. He showed it to me. I'm like, yep, that works. <laughs> you know, I got the sense you and I exchanged a couple of messages when and you're in production and finishing up production, and I, I got a sense that this was a very difficult movie. I don't think any of your movies are set up to you know have yeah. you in a director's chair dropping right. on craft services. But um, why? Why? And I just want to make also yes. just, I want to get two questions in here. So yes. I just I just is part of this. You know, my parents live in Florida and they yep. get the hell out of there in May. Oh, is part of this? Is this part of this? Just it's so hot down there, or what? Why was this movie so difficult? Well, I, I okay. So basically, I learned a lot of lessons. I'm not throwing. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus except for myself. Mm-hmm. I I probably went into this in a naive way, thinking that everybody was going to be able to easily jump onto my way of directing, my Mm -hmm. style of directing. And when you're dealing with, you know, I have a very close team of people around me who understand my style. You know, Alexis even understands my style. I'm sure Carlos is very unconventional in the way that he shot. And plus, Alexis and I shot this fashion film first, so he understood it. Then I have Xi Ching, and I have Chris, and I have Mm -hmm. Kevin Chinoy, and I have all these other people who understand that I will in any moment be inspired by something that's happening on the other side of the parking lot and say, I'm not going to stick to the schedule right now. I'm going off schedule to grab something that is much more interesting and something that's like a happy accident happening here. Let's do it. But then when, you sh- when you're working with a, you know, uh, a group of people who, who don't know your directing style and they're, and they're, they're, they're used to a very uh, specific way of, 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 of making films, you know, uh, a union crew, local, local crews, um, yeah, that was a, a that was a problem. Yeah. That was a problem, and it was something that almost caused this film to shut down halfway through because people thought I was rogue and crazy. Yeah. And the whole time, I, I had to eventually start really communicating much more than I've done, I've done in the past, where I'm just like, guys, I know um, I'm throwing you curveballs all the time. It's killing my script supervisor. It's killing my <laughs> wardrobe department because they are they're they're, they're they, to keep up with continuity was hellish but like I think that eventually people got on board 
you know, Alexis was wonderful in that way that he got his whole camera department on board. He's like, no, Sean isn't as crazy as you think. This is all gonna, this is part of the master plan. Plus he's editing in his head. But, but there were lots of things. I mean, look, I set myself up I, with kids. I set myself up with 35 millimeter. You know what it's like in the hot summer sun of Orlando, central Florida. It is like tropic weather. Mm-hmm. Um, there were lots of obstacles and very limited time. And, and the fact that I was rewriting Chris and I rewrite while in production. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was a, Bobby didn't have a son. Bobby had a, a brother mm-hmm. that he was employing on the side. Then all of a sudden when the parental theme started really taking shape in the movie, we said, let's get him a son. So that changes everything. Yeah. I mean, there were lots and lots of like these, ha- these, these moments in which I would try to like, I would try to, um, you know, capture and it would throw people off. So let's just say this, there was a tremendous amount of stress an incredible amount of fear. Mm. Fear is the worst thing in life, but also fear is the worst thing on a film set. It can shut things down. You can have mutiny. And there was almost mutiny. It was really almost mutiny. And, and I said that it was on the product, uh, you know, the, I, w- I was having like chest pains. I was like, I mean, my stomach. I could hear, I could hear it in your voice. Yeah, my stomach yeah. didn't stop gurgling with stomach acids for over a month. I mean, like really the stress level probably took years of our life, but you know, ultimately, I guess maybe the chaos actually ended up helping us in, a, in some weird way. <laughs> hey, we gotta let you go. Sure. Real quick though, the ending. Is this something that was conceived, is this part of that process of thinking about this and figuring out how to go there, or was that something that, mm-hmm. is this something that was just part of where you always knew you wanted to go with this? No, no, the endings are always, always for every one of my films, uh, one of the first visions I have. So endings are always worked out and, and they're what actually gets us inspired. So we knew we were always going for that ending and it was just about getting us there. It, along those lines, I mean, this movie's been incredibly well received. Um, and it's funny to me, I, I, every time I'm with a group with it, that ending is something that people are talking about in trying to by the way, this is a spoiler. We're, we're, Sean, this is the last question we're getting out, so, so turn it off if you haven't seen this film yet. But, <laughs> but that, that, that element there of wanting to end on that note, yeah. like, I mean, to my sense, it's, it's very clear. I know yes. what's going to happen. Yes. I, know what's gonna, I, I know what's going on back at the motel. Right. But that, that desire to end on that note felt so perfect to me. Yeah. Um, well, it was... Uh, my uh, the fact that you just said that that there's like the audiences are thinking about it and discussing it that was my goal you know that was it's up for the audience to interpret and it's not just because I'm being lazy it's because I actually think there's there's many different ways of interpreting it for example my co-screenwriter actually thinks slightly different about the film than the ending than I do so so um, so to that I I just say uh, what it's really about putting the audience in the heads of, of the children at that moment and, 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 and it's up to the audience's imagination to, to, to figure out exactly what it means. Thank you, Sean. Congratulations on the movie. Thank you. Thank you.